I want to thank you as a congregation, Chris. I want to thank you, Lynn and I do, for the marvelous documentary you did. I remember you told me you wasn't asking me if you could do it. You told me you're going to do it, but wanted me to know it. But thank you so much for doing that. And um, I'm just grateful to you and to be a part of this congregation. Uh, Chris always begins with a joke. <laughs> hey, his jokes are not real good. <laughs> so I decided I was going to go to the very best joke writer anywhere in this country and let him help me with a joke. So I went to Eddie Ray Montgomery, <laughs> who is Chris's son, and uh, he did a little thing at school this week, and I asked him, give me your best joke. So he said, what does a baseball team and a pancake have in common? They both need a good batter. <laughs> uh, also, Eddie Ray wanted to tell you, that he's got some of these pictures. He's going to autograph it. It's on sale out in the atrium after the service. You can pick some up there. But I want to thank you so much, Chris, for this opportunity for what this church is doing. Now, you've been in a series, and you've been reading this week in Luke and Matthew about the Beatitudes. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Chris preached a sermon that had 11 points in it. He gave me this passage of Scripture, and I've tried to work at it, and I'm going to beat the number of points. I've got 16 points in this sermon. When John Wesley, this was his favorite passage of Scripture, he said, this Scripture sums up everything about the Christian faith, and he wrote in his journal when he went to Wales, he gathered a group of folks and started to preach, and it took him three hours to get through it. Now, I'm not sure I'm going to go that long today, but I do want to just take it from that perspective. Uh, also, I'm not sure, you, you're taking this chronologically, right after this passage of Scripture, I want you to look at it. As soon as this finishes, it starts talking about light and the light of the world and let there be light. And I think you got ahead of yourself last Sunday, didn't you? Because the lights went out in the sanctuary. That was a great thing you planned to do it that way. That was a marvelous way to, uh, okay, so you got, all right. <laughs> so he's ready next week to bring out about the light there. But today we're talking about the Beatitudes. Now get that word, Beatitudes. For me, it says two words. It says attitudes and be. That means that these attitudes ought to be in you. So what I like to look at would be an attitude adjustment. Again, Wesley said this passage of Scripture sums up what all the Christian doctrine is about. The Beatitudes, when you read them, we read them as you do. Some translations say, blessed are you when. Others say, happy are you. The word in Greek literally is translated both ways. I'm going to focus more on happiness because we understand that. Happy are you when certain things happen. And the Beatitudes will bring to you both blessings and happiness. Now, I hope you have an outline, and I hope you'll take it. There are a lot of notes that you can take, and I hope you'll study this a bit on your own because this is a powerful understanding at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I want to divide it into two things. Number one, the purpose. What is the purpose of the Beatitudes? Why are they so important? What's their purpose? And then I want us to look at the plan. 
Jesus gives an outline plan, eight particular things of which we must be a part, and we'll look at that in a moment. First, the purpose. Why the Beatitudes? Why the Sermon on the Mount? The Bible says that a huge crowd gathered and they came to see Jesus. And he went up into a mountain and he sat down and started to teach them. And he begins with these Beatitudes. Happy are you. Happy are you when certain things happen. Now why? Let me give you five, six reasons that I think. Number one, there was a need for happiness. People were unhappy. Let me say that today, if you saw the polls from last month, the polls regulating the, or trying to say how happy are we in America were lower than they've ever been in the history of our country. People are more unhappy today than ever before. There's also a study that's been done for the last 50 or 60 years picking out the nation that has the most happy people. They call it the happiest nation on earth. You know where America fit in? At the very bottom. We have a great need. We are unhappy. We don't know much hope. Doomsday clock went up this past week to almost midnight. People are afraid. People are scared. Where's our happiness? There's a university in New Jersey called Centenary University. They have seen so much unhappiness. Now get this. They've just started offering a master's degree in happiness. Now it'll cost you $17,000 to get it. And they'll confer those degrees come May in happiness. I'm going to give you a pattern today of the master's degree, which won't cost you $17,000, but I can guarantee that it will make you happy. There's a need for us to discover real happiness. Number two, look at the scope. It says there that the crowd went up. Now, think about a crowd. 5,000 people Jesus fed just the men. Now, when you get a crowd of people, you get all kinds of people. Sometimes we say, well, happiness is reserved for a certain kind of folks. It's for everybody. If you're educated or uneducated, if you're rich or poor, if you're male or female, it doesn't matter about your race. You see, the crowd, it was sort of like the inauguration crowd last Monday. You had everybody down on the state capitol, no particular set of folks the happiness is for everybody. The scope goes beyond even what we can think about. Number three, look at the availability. Now, I know you're sitting there saying, well, hey, that Beatitudes, that's good, but that's for somebody else. Hey, the Beatitudes are for you. It's available to you. Doesn't matter where you are or where you've been or where you come from. It's for you. It's available because you see, it's a gift. You can't earn it. I hear people say, well, I'm searching for happiness. You can search all you want, but you're not going to find it. Happiness is not something you look for and achieve. Happiness is something that you receive. It's a gift from God. William Wordsworth said that happiness is a little bit like a butterfly. If you see it flying and you try to catch it, it flutters and you can't catch it. But if you sit down and start doing what you're supposed to be doing and get quiet, it'll come in light on your shoulder. You want to be happy? You can go around the world and you won't find it. It's right where you're sitting today. God has a gift for you of blessing and happiness, an attitude the way we could be. Now look at number four. 
It treats the source and not the symptom. Now hear me carefully. In today's society, people always tell us how to cure our symptoms. But very few things tell us about the source. The Beatitudes deal with the source. The symptoms are out there. The source is what's inside of us. The Beatitudes, these eight, all talk about the heart and the mind. Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You see, it doesn't deal with those outward circumstances. Those are symptoms. I have people come to me and say, you know, I'd like to change some things. I use foul language, or I've got a temper, or I've got a bad disposition, or I don't have a very good work ethic. Those are symptoms. The Beatitudes deal with the source. When your heart and mind gets right, then you cure the problems of a bad temper, of an inability to use good language. You see, the Beatitudes, they are dealing with the source and not the symptoms. Let me just share one thing. People ask me sometimes about age. Man, you're getting old. That's right. In fact, uh, at the earlier service, uh, they gave me this little bottle of water. I like to keep it. And they opened it so I wouldn't have to struggle with it to get it open. I'm getting a little older. They said, we're going to give you the chair that's closest to the pulpit. You don't have to walk so far. I appreciate that. Uh, how old are you today? If you didn't know how old you are, how old would you think you are? And people talk about age. Everybody wants to live a long time, but nobody wants to get old. You see, our thinking is not so much where the reality of where it is, but how do we look at it? You might have read in the paper this week, a billionaire, young tech guy, is spending $20 million trying to reverse his age. He's 40 years old, and he's spending immense to reverse his age. Listen, if you want to reverse your age, it starts up here. And it's in your mind and in your heart. You see, that's what... Don't worry so much about being old. Worry about thinking about age. How we think determines what we do. Look at number five. The reason it's important, the purpose is the direction. People tell me something, well, I can't do the Beatitudes. I'm not a perfect person. Now hear me. The Beatitudes are not to make you perfect. Nobody will ever become perfect. Don't use that as an excuse. The direction is not perfection, but it's progress. It means that you're moving in a certain direction. Perfection only one person was perfect. The Beatitudes deal internally where every day, day by day, we move in that direction. And then the sixth thing, it creates culture. A attitude creates culture. Let me suggest that we got a problem. Our culture is bad in America. We have a culture of mistrust, violence, lack of respect. Young people today don't respect teachers or coaches or figures of authority. And, and it's a violent kind of culture. I think the Beatitudes today, if we would practice them, will create a new kind of culture in which we live. I said a moment ago about that study. The, the number one nation for happiness is Finland. Do you, do you know what kind of culture they have there? 
part of their study for seeing which is the happiest nation, they took billfolds, wallets, and they took 12 wallets and placed them on streets in 162 different countries, 12 of them. And they wanted to see who will pick the billfold up and take it back to its owner. They put out 12 in America. How many do you think wound up back to the owner? Zero. Finland, the happiest country. You know what happened? 11 of the 12, they returned it to the rightful owner. You see, they had a culture of trust, of caring for each other. I would long today to live in a nation where there's a culture where people care for the best for everybody else. And that's what the B attitudes do for us. Uh, if you're driving down I-85 in the next week, you're going to see a new billboard. Now be careful when you see it. It might scare you. There are pictures of five pastors up there. And you'll notice that it has a website called the181years.com. You see, five of us, black and white, have been working for the past few years to try to bring unity in the community of Montgomery. In fact, we've done six podcasts, and they're out. A Presbyterian lady saw and said, everybody in the River Region needs to see this. She said, I'll buy a billboard, and I'm going to put it up, and you'll see it up. And, and you can go to that website and hear six podcasts. Now, now, there are five of us, but we've incorporated a whole group of pastors of all races that we're going to work together, and we're going to let God use us to help change the culture of our community. And our community needs that badly. By the way, it's a 181. <laughs> Amen. What, what 181, uh, that refers to the number of collective years that the five of us have had doing ministry in Montgomery, 181. You can guess who's got the majority of those years there. And we're going to have to change our name at the end of this year to 186 because we're going to have some more years, but the culture must be changed. So this is the reason, that's the purpose of why we need an attitude adjustment. Very simply, there's a need, there's a scope, there's the availability. It treats the source and not the symptom. It treats the direction, and it will create a different kind of culture. Wow, we need that. Now let me focus real briefly. That's the purpose. Now I want you to look at the plan. Matthew 5, first eight verses, he gives us the plan for how that can be accomplished. And if we do this, amazing things happen. Now, there are eight of them. Now, I've divided them into two categories. First, you have a requirement. And if you meet the requirement, you get a reward. Let me say it again. He says, here's the requirement, and here's the reward. Now, a lot of folks say, I want the reward, but I'm not going to take the requirement. Uh -uh. It's not the way it works. The Sermon on the Mount, the B, Attitudes, tells us, here's what you have to do. John Wesley said that what this does, it distinguishes every person has a choice. You choose. You choose how happy you want to be, how blessed. It's your choice. And we make a choice. We either do it the world's way, or Wesley said we do it God's way. 
We've got a choice. Now, here are eight of them. I'm going to ask you, what's your choice? Because this will cause an attitude adjustment. Now, first, the request, the, the requirement. The first is, if you are poor in spirit, then you will inherit the kingdom of God. Poor in spirit. That doesn't mean that you go around with a sad face. I've got a good friend named Tim Lee. He knows more college coaches than anybody I know. And he was telling me this past week about Les Miles, who wanted to know more about the faith. And uh, he was going out to recruit a player in the Midwest, and he went to see Bill McCartney, who started Promise Keepers, football coach at Colorado. And Tim said, hey, we're going to call Les. I want him to tell you what he said. And so he said, I told Coach McCartney, I ain't poor in spirit. I'm rich. I got plenty of money. I got plenty of intelligence. I got plenty of education. He said, that's why you're really rich. You can't be poor. Poor in spirit means that I don't have anything and I can't do it. But you can do it. And he said, this, it's when you are totally dependent on God. When you are totally dependent on God, they can inherit the kingdom of God. That's the result, the reward. Let me just say to you, whenever you see kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, they're used interchangeably. And get this, it's important. The kingdom of God is not out there in eternity. It's here today. You prayed today, may God's kingdom come on earth. So what I'm talking about today is something for today. And it's also for eternity. Poor in spirit. The second one there. When you mourn, you will be comforted. Mourning means that you're sorry for your sins. And it's through that mourning that we confess our sins. And the way you're going to get satisfied is when you confess and feel badly and sorry. But you're not going to be perfect. Get me? You'll never be perfect. But when we sin, we need to Pray for it, receive forgiveness, and make progress towards the kingdom of God. And it's then, he says, that we will be comforted. The third, he said, when you're meek, you will inherit the earth. Would you like to inherit the earth? What kind of inheritance are you going to leave to your kids? It's not going to be a whole lot. You see, our inheritance financially and with our resources are very limited. God's inheritance is the earth. I mean, you can have it all. If we are meek, now let me say the word meek. Meek sometimes is misinterpreted to be weakness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is really, I'd call it a camouflage of strength. When we're humble and meek and know what we can't do, God will come and show us what he can do through us. You want to inherit the whole earth? Then it's through the humility of meekness. Uh, it just shows how great God is. Uh, we have a great kindergarten here. When I was the pastor, I used to go in on Friday morning with those four and five-year-olds. It's the only group that ever appreciated my musical talent. Four and five years old. And they would ask me to sing the same song. I would lead them every Friday morning. And my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. I was preaching in Mobile last Sunday. 
And the pastor's wife came up to me and said, John Ed, you don't know this, but I went to Fraser Kindergarten. And you know what was our favorite time of the week? Friday morning when you would get up there and make a nut out of yourself leading us. <laughs> and she said, I still remember it. My God is so big. Let me tell you what meekness is. When you discover how big God is and what he can do. Weakness goes to God and says, God, I got a problem. Meekness goes to a problem and says, hey, I got a big God, and you're in trouble. You see, the attitude and the result is that we shall inherit the earth. The fourth thing, he said, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Have you ever been hungry, thirsty? I've been to some parts of the world where people are hungry. People die from lack of food. When you're hungry, you'll do it. When you're thirsty, we'll do anything to get something to drink, won't we? Let me tell you, he said, if you're hungry and if you're thirsty for righteousness, then let me tell you what the reward will be. You will be satisfied. You might watch a football game this afternoon. I have a quarterback for the Eagles named Jalen Hurts. He was asked earlier this week, uh, are you fired up about the game? He said, I sure am. You mean leading the team for the play? Yes, sir, I am. How fired up are you? Here was his reply. He said, the coach told me that the dog that is hungry can run faster. And he said, I ain't hungry. I'm starving. Let me tell you where life comes. It's when you are starving for right things. You are starving for righteousness. And when you hunger and thirst, you'll be satisfied. The fifth thing is merciful. If you practice mercy, you receive mercy. Mercy really means you're willing to humbly give people the benefit of the doubt and when we are merciful, we receive mercy. I remember we had, uh, Chris, an a album for the church members. We had a photos made, a picture thing. And I remember Lynn and I went to get ours made. And I went in and sat down in front of the photographer. And I said, sir, do me justice. <laughs> he looked at me and said, preacher, you don't need justice. You need mercy. <laughs> and let me tell you, he's right. I need mercy. Many of us think, hey, I don't need that. I need mercy. And when you give mercy, you will receive mercy. Next, number six, when you're pure in heart. Pure in heart. You see, if this water had impurities in it, it'd make me sick. If you eat lunch today and you eat impure food, you're going to get sick. If you put impure thoughts into your mind and heart, you're going to get sick. You want to have a spiritual heart attack? That's what it'll be caused when you put impure things. Very simply, purity, purity will help you to ultimately see God. Then number seven, peacemakers. If you're a peacemaker, do you know of anything in our culture that we need more today than peacemakers? I mean, look at politics. I mean, look at any aspect of society. There is chaos and hate and distrust. Hey, what about the peacemakers? At a funeral Friday, 44-year-old young lady died unexpectedly. 
they, everybody talked about how she went to various things. She worked for the state, and they put her in different groups where there was dysfunction, and she always was one who could bring peace. And then her mother told me, said, John, let me tell you, when Heather was five years old, she was sitting in a worship service at Fraser, five years old. And she said, from the pulpit, she heard, we need to expand so we can bring more people, but that takes money. And she listened. I said, I'm glad to know that somebody listened for a while. But she didn't just listen, she acted. On Sunday afternoon now, five-year-old, her mother started looking for her and couldn't find her and went down the street and saw her going door to door and she had bought some cheese balls and she was selling them two for a nickel to raise money so that you'd have a place to sit this morning. You're sitting in here because a five-year-old girl and a lot like her were peacemakers and loved people and wanted to plan for the future. If you're a peacemaker, you will be a son of God. Now circle that. I love that, a son of God or a daughter of God. Let me tell you, I love my son. I love my daughter. I love my grandkids. I love them. But you know what I always enjoyed most in life? was when my dad in his older age, uh, he would be at a place and I'd walk in and he'd tell me, hey, everybody, this is my boy. This is my boy, and he'd put my arm around me. Let me tell you, that was a great, great thing. This is my boy. You know why I was his boy? He was proud of that. You see, when you are a peacemaker, you can be a son or a child of God. You're my boy. But let me tell you what's greater than how my daddy say it. To have God come up and put his arm around me and say, this is my boy. Would he put his arm around you this morning? And say, hey, this is my daughter. This is my girl. This is my boy. You see, that's why the B attitudes are so important. As I said to begin with, it means happiness. It means that God approves of who we are and what we're doing. Then the last thing, if we are persecuted, then you have a heavenly reward. The requirement is persecution. You've been persecuted lately. Now, some parts of the world, Christians are being persecuted. I was in India several times in the last few years training pastors. There's persecution there. We don't know what that kind of persecution is. But what he's saying is persecution, why? Persecution because of righteous things that you're doing. Now, he said, if you're being persecuted for being righteous... Hey, that's a good thing. That is the mark of discipleship. That is the badge of Christian courage, that you're being persecuted. Can I just ask a question? If you haven't been persecuted lately, has anybody seen you doing something righteous that they didn't like? If you don't ever do anything righteous, you won't ever be persecuted. But he said, thank God when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Because, you see, you'll have a heavenly, a heavenly reward. So here it is, eight points. Eight points, and at the bottom, there are three words. Just write these in, and you go back and study it, and these are sort of a summary of the whole thing. 
uh, it really comes from Matthew 5, 12. He says, rejoice, be happy, because great is your reward in heaven, which is on earth and forever. And then three words, happiness, holiness, and heaven. All the Beatitudes are about happiness, and they're about holiness. It's holy living, and it's about heaven on earth and forever. You'll probably see another football player this afternoon playing. Uh, he plays for San Francisco. His name is Brock Purdy. This time last year, he was playing for Division II school. When they had the draft, they select 258 players. And after they selected 258, he wasn't selected. And then somebody picked him up, the 259th player. Last player. But guess what happened? A couple of quarterback injuries, and all of a sudden, he became a starter seven games ago, a rookie. And he's won seven straight games. And a rookie has never carried a team to the Super Bowl. And this afternoon, he'll have that opportunity. And when people criticize him, they said, man, you, how do you do that? You're just a rookie. And they come up and criticize, you're a Christian. That's wrong. You know what he said? I am a Christian first and a football player second. And every game is important. He's won every game so far. But he said, my identity in Christ is more important than anything. And he stood for that. By the way, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes determined that for starting quarterbacks in the NFL, three-fourths of them are professing evangelical Christians. And Brock Purdy said, my identity in Christ. What's most important to you? What are you going to starve for? How are you going to treat people? Just remind you, be attitudes. These are the attitudes that will be in order that you might find happiness and blessing. Happiness, holiness, and heaven. Let us pray. Father, right now, some of us are struggling with this. We, we, got a, we need an attitude adjustment. No, God, we can't find search for happiness. It would never find it. But again, when you receive it, when you come and offer it as a gift, oh God, right now, any person who is not ultimately, ultimate bliss and happiness, oh God, may we just ask you, would you come and change me inside out and internally? I want an attitude adjustment and I'm willing to follow you. And, oh, God, give us the courage to make that decision and to live for it, to talk with someone after this service and share with them. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you have an attitude adjustment for each and every one of us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.